Hi, this is George Tekmichev back for another Easton Archery Target podcast or Target Archery podcast or something like that. Today we've got a very special guest. It is the Secretary General of World Archery, Mr. Tom Dillon. Tom, thanks very much for joining us from your home in Lausanne. It's a pleasure, George. Uh, always uh, really to talk with you. So we, there's a lot to cover. Um, the reason we wanted you as our guest uh, for this episode was uh, as we're about to start outdoor season, we have a significant number of, uh, of things to talk about in the standpoint of new rules, from the standpoint of some tweaks to existing rules, and also the big news, the document that outlines the process for getting teams qualified for the Olympic Games including the all-new mixed team category. So um, let's start by talking about the new rules. We, um, okay, so, please, go ahead. Yeah, so the new rules will, will be uh, in effect as of the 1st of April, so we're getting pretty close to it. Um, I would say there is uh, several types of new rules uh, that come into effect. I would say uh, in target archery, uh, there would be... Uh, two major ones that I would like to highlight. Uh, the first one is actually the number of teams qualifying for the elimination rounds. That's both regular teams as well as mixed teams. So that's now being moved to 24 instead of 16, with the top eight uh, having a buy in the first round. That's a pretty so that's big difference. Significant, uh, significant change. Um, the real effect will be seen next year at the World Champs in Sertogen uh, Bos in the Netherlands. But we will already see that this will have an impact on how the team round will work. Yeah, and you know that team round in the Netherlands uh, in 2019 is going to be hugely important, as we're going to talk about in a little while, um, mm -hmm. with the you know qualification for the Olympic Games hinging for a lot of countries on the outcome of that particular event. So it looks to me like you've got a lot more chances for a lot of countries that might not have been able to get to that stage. But we're getting Absolutely. a little yeah. Uh, not to get ahead of ourselves. Uh, what's the other rule that you wanted to pick up on? Well, the other rule I wanted to highlight was on the on the shoot-off. So oh, good, because I want to talk to you about this one too. <laughs> yeah, so the shoot-offs, um, we felt, and, and, and this is a motion coming from the, the coaches committee, which was very much also supported by the athletes committee, where they said, well, if someone, and especially when it's alternating, and I think everyone is thinking back of the, the batch for the bronze medal in London, where uh, the Chinese uh, bronze medalist opened with a perfect X and then uh, poor Rick van der Ven um, basically said, what can I do? So uh, that was an, one example, but there is many others. And the idea is that for recurve, if uh, both athletes shoot a 10, we're not going to measure directly, we're going to give a second chance. If the second arrows are again two tens well tough then we'll go into measure who is close to the center okay the same will apply for compound but then for x so this will be actually the first time that the x will have an importance uh in match play uh for compound um it made a sense for world records but now it's also in a shoot off Someone who shoots an X and the other one shoots an X, a second arrow will be shot. Sure. And that all makes sense. I mean, I, on paper, it looks really good. But let me tell you the experience that we just had in Bangkok, where you and I met a few days ago, and then you had to take off because you had other important things like the committee meeting that we're going to talk about. Um, during the course of the week at the Asia Cup, which was the first big outdoor event for our listeners to understand, the first big uh, major outdoor event from the standpoint of a world-ranking event, 
The team managers and the judges agreed that they would implement the April 1 rule early, as it were. And as you know, Bangkok is frequently the proving ground for new rules because of the factor that the teams do want to try the new rule. It's the first big event of the outdoor season, and it, you know, it's, uh, it's participated in by a lot of different countries. Um, so we had this scenario. Uh, we did have a shoot-off where the archers both achieved a 10. One of the 10s was a liner on a recurve, and one of the 10s was almost a spider killer. And I, and I must say that because of the size of the 10 ring, you kind of get the feeling that, oh, man, that was a clear win on the part of the guy that shot the dead center. And so implementing the rule, although it didn't change the outcome of the match, um, kind of felt kind of hollow, especially since they both shot nines on the subsequent arrow. So I, I think it was a good plan on paper. I don't know, uh, you know, as an announcer, right? I'm looking at this and I'm going, I don't know if that's the best way. But that's why we test things, uh, right? It's, 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 I basically, we adopted the rule. It's a bylaw. We can change it at, at any moment. But really, we want to take the 2018 season to see if it makes sense or not. We'll have it uh, in effect at the Youth Olympic Games, um, at the Asian Games in Jakarta. But we'll have enough, uh, I would say, valid input um, into it to make sure that if we continue or not. And, and I think it's uh, the way forward uh, as such. Uh, and uh, we have to wait and see. The other thing that we are doing uh, in terms of a, a rule change that will definitely have an effect on, on matches in alternate play is when uh, it is clear that the last arrow has no importance whatsoever anymore. Well, instead of forcing the athlete to shoot an arrow for nothing, uh, we allow the athlete to say, okay, uh, he goes to the other athlete, shakes hands, and the match is over. Because that, that last arrow really is, I, I wouldn't say a punishment, but close to it for the athlete that knows that he has no chance anymore. Yeah. It's clear it's the athlete's decision. It will not be a judge decision because there could be liners and so on and so on. Yep. But if someone has to shoot 12 points, to win the match with one arrow, everyone knows that's not going to happen. Yeah. So similarly, you know, we, we looked at opportunities for that at this particular event, and they really didn't come up per se. Um, so the only question that was up was, uh, well, how do you decide? And most athletes, I think, are probably going to continue to shoot regardless of whether they think they have a chance or not, if there's any doubt, if there's any whatsoever. And, of course, that's the intent there. So there's no, yeah. nothing lost. Um, now, during a dead set... You know, they still shoot, right? I mean, uh, let's yeah, say well, we're, in, we're in the first yeah. set, and the first set is yeah. is clearly lost. The, the first guy shot 10, 10, 10. The second guy yeah. has already shot a 7 and an 8, you know. Um, yeah. But they they still go ahead and shoot. Well, they can. It's I, I would say, again, there it's it's their choice. And, and there it makes more sense because, especially if it's tricky wind conditions, sure, it's practice. you might want to use that arrow to, to, to aim off and see what happens. Yeah, most certainly. In fact, in the gold medal match in Bangkok between Mr. Tomatsu and the archer, Mr. Chirol from France, uh, that's exactly how things went. You know, they, they went back and forth on each other a couple of times there. And uh, as a result, it uh, it became a practice arrow for each of them at, you know, first set, second set. And uh, useful in those conditions because the winds were shifting on that field. So as you say, that's exactly the application for that kind of situation. So um, you've got some fresh blood in the World Archery Committees. Maybe before we talk about the committee meeting that just took place and some of the initiatives that might have come from that. Maybe we should talk a little bit about the structure so our listeners understand how the committees work in world archery in the context of uh, 
of what they do and, and their structure. Because World Archery is not just a, a, a small group of people, you know, uh, two or three guys getting together in a room and deciding how things are. It's actually quite uh, democratic, you might say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's fully democratic in the sense that it's uh, the member associations that elected uh, the permanent committee members. And what we made uh, as, a, as a major change uh, in the last Congress was that basically every committee will have a minimum of five members of which uh, or three or two are elected at each edition of Congress. So the, the reasoning behind that is, is that, first of all, we wanted to have more people involved, that's one. And second, by having a staggered election, uh, we guarantee that there is a transfer of knowledge. So you can't replace a full committee in one go, which would uh, lead to complete loss of the knowledge that has been gathered as such. Yeah, very the important. Committees have a... Uh, I would say a more technical function, so it's, it, it would be, I would say, dangerous for the sport to lose all the competence. Uh, the so other you maintain thing continuity that has, this way. Exactly. And uh, the other thing that, that this will achieve is we'll have, and uh, as already shown uh, following the, the elections uh, in, in Mexico, a better gender uh, balance in the committees which is also very positive for the sport. And in fact, that was one of the goals of, uh, of the uh, discussion that's been had, uh, commitment to gender equity and implementation of the IOC's new recommendations on that subject, I gather. Absolutely. It's, for us, it's, it's important. I, we always have a sport that, that is very much uh, committed to this. It's part of our origins. Uh, we were among the first sports on the Olympics with women. We were the first sport to have a women as president, and uh, we, we really feel it's, it's very strongly about that. Uh, also, in all our events, we have equal prize money. The distances shots are the same for men and women, and, and I could go on uh, for a long time on, on, I would say, concrete actions and measures we have in place in that area. Yes, very clear. So, um, going on with the committee structure, um, this time, every every year at least, and uh, you do this either physically with everybody getting together in one place, or you have a phone call or a, a, you know, a conference call kind of situation, um, or various committees, subcommittees might do that. Um, walk us through the structure of this latest meeting that was taking place in Lausanne this past week, and what kind of initiatives might have come up there? Well, I would say every every two years, the non-Congress years, we try to get all the committees together at the same time in the same place. And this allows really to, to exchange information between committees and, and, and brainstorm a lot between the different committees. So uh, when, uh, for instance, the judge committee gets together with the coach committee, uh, typically they will discuss on certain procedures. Why, for instance, one of the the, the topics that came up is access to the field of play where both judges and uh, coaches very much want to really restrict access to the field of play and this is also a wish from the athletes committee that really only the people that really need to be on the field of play during matches, uh, qualifications and so on are on the field of play. Uh, there's been also a lot of discussion between target committee, coach committee, uh, an athletes committee on things like target face sizes and uh, also the the two tabled motions of um, the Mexican cro- uh, Congress, the, the one on the World Indoor Series replacing the World Ch- Indoor Championships and, and on the Indoor Compound phase. So these are all kinds of things that, that have been discussed. Now, um, 
this is the the first step of of the democratic process. What happens next is that for the major changes, uh, the committees will need to prepare motions by October of this year, and then those will be uh, sent to all our member associations, perhaps amended, and then go for approval in the Congress in Sertogambos. Now, one of the things that has been heavily discussed is the matter of uh, the fact that we have a rule in place that only Congresses post-Olympic Games can make changes to shooting rules. Uh, one of the things that was felt and probably in the direction we will go is that we will modify that rule that basically for the Olympic discipline uh, that rule will remain in effect because it makes sense for the entire qualification period to have the same rules in effect. But for all other disciplines, uh, there would be more flexibility so that new things can be better tested and implemented uh, during the four-year period and, and not being blocked by uh, that one Congress every four years. So specifically, you might get faster or more frequent um adjustments or experiments with improvements to uh, field archery or to 3D or to exactly, compound. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And okay, for field archery, there will be major changes this year, and we, we were lucky that our Congress uh, gave us the, the opportunity to, to, to be flexible on it, uh, and uh, the, the, a very successful World Games format that we had last year, which was a, uh, a test, but a very successful test, uh, will be implemented in our World Championships later on this year in Cortina. In uh, the World Championships for Field Archery in Cortina, Italy. Correct. And also right. a similar format for the World 3D Championships next year in Canada. Okay. So some, some changes are coming, and those will be, presumably they'll show up in the new rule book coming out in April. Absolutely. Okay. That's a lot of work, by the way, uh, to, to redo the book. Um, and I presume that there's enough changes this year that we'll see some... Uh, uh, some streamlining and some some uh, clearer explanations of some of the rules because of the yes, the nature I, of that. This is, a, this is one of those permanent tasks uh, we have is to, to try to make the rule book as simple as possible, especially in the field and 3D section. There has been a huge amount of work done by the field committee and the constitution and rules committee together with the office. And uh, uh, I think the result is quite good. Now we will see how archers, judges, and organizers think about it when they will read them. Sure. It's like anything else. You've got to try it to see what the real world results are going to be, which goes back to, you know, the whole subject of uh, having the committee able to make some changes in between Congress years and uh, yeah. and implement those things. So, so Tom, just to clarify, the new target for compound indoor, uh, which is a proportional target, does that mean that it could start sooner than after the next Congress? Is that possible? Well, I would say that the, the, I'm not sure 100% what the final outcome will be because I, there is a consensus that the whole aspect of target phases will need to be looked at and that will probably be for 2021. Okay. Uh, there's also discussion on outdoor. Uh, I don't want to, to, to give more information on it because this is a thing that needs to be well prepared discussed with the target phase manufacturers and so on and so on. Oh yeah, there's so, lots of there's uh, lots of uh, stuff it, going on. It is, there is a lot of studies being done. We have a fantastic person on our coaches committee, Marcel Van Appeldoorn, who is a statistician, who has tons of data on uh, on 
what the impact would be of a reduction of the face and so on and so on. So it's, this is something that's not done in one day. Uh, we, we continue to look at this with the committees and then most likely in 2021 there will be uh, some changes proposed and then, okay, uh, it, it is the member associations that will decide on it. We will come with arguments for and against and then it's up to them to decide. Okay, that obviously sounds like a, a balanced approach because you've got to consider the stakeholders of the manufacturers making the target faces and maybe having inventory that might have to last for a period of time and the people who sell the stuff, you know, say the JVDs of the world that might have stock and then you have the clubs around the world that might want to make sure they have the latest faces. So some of this stuff can't be done overnight. Absolutely. All right, let's shift gears, Tom, and talk about 2020 and Tokyo and the qualification system for the Tokyo Olympic Games, which is, um, I, it runs nine pages, and it's not uncomplicated, and we don't need to get into the minutia of this, but there's two main things that I think that are going to be interesting to talk about. One of them, of course, is the tremendous achievement of world archery in getting basically two more gold medals, two more silver medals, two more bronze medals in the mixed team category now this is huge absolutely and i would say it's showing the the success of archery in the olympic games program because uh, we've seen rather reductions of events and number of athletes in other sports uh, rather than additional um, um, events so it's, it is showing really that we have made a lot of progress in the sport absolutely i mean there's no question that you know, the plan that was implemented back in 2006 to bring archery into the core of the Olympic Games has succeeded uh, from Professor Dr. Erdner and yourself and the committees and the, and the people behind this. And also, you're looking at a situation where we have no longer to worry every four years that we might be taken off the Olympic program in our sport because it's a core well, sport. I think, I think this is something we can clearly say. Uh, However, um, no sport is without risk at any moment. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, discussion recently on two sports uh, on the program for 2020, and we will see what happens. But uh, as long as we keep on doing the right things, uh, there should be no worries. Okay. So with that said, and thank you for, for reeling in my enthusiasm a little bit there. <laughs> but looking at it as an archer, I think this is still a, a pretty great situation. And, and I know you feel that way, too, as when you put your archery hat on. But um, so the qualification system is one that is super important for every country. Nobody except Japan, which is the host, has a clear buy to get into the games. They ha Everybody has to qualify. Absolutely. And, okay, uh, Japan has, as you say, automatic places. But uh, what is a change for Japan is that uh, they will be part of the qualification system directly with the other teams, which is a little bit different than in the past. So the first step in the qualification system, and it's, it's not 100% chronological, and I'll explain later on why, will be the team event at uh, the World Championships in Setogonbos, uh, where the top eight teams will qualify. And the reason why I mentioned Japan is that in the past, if Japan was in the top eight, we would also do a special uh, secondary tournament to determine which was the ninth team. This is at the moment no longer the case. What will happen is if Japan is in the top eight, uh, both men and women, which is, a, I would say, a strong possibility, yes, it is. then the, uh, the 
the place of Japan that they would get as host country uh, team will be added to the last qualifying tournament, which is in 2020, which is typically the last World Cup stage before the Olympics, where there will be three or four teams getting places depending on what happens with Japan. So if the calendar were the same in 2020, which it isn't necessarily, that would probably be what, Berlin? Um, not known yet. That will be decided later on this year. Uh, can't give uh, fair enough, fair uh, enough. Uh, uh, a fair assessment of that. But it's... it's, it's uh, but it'll be a World Cup event. It will be the last World Cup stage before the Olympics, but I can't say which continent or which place. Because those haven't been decided quite yet. Exactly. They'll be right. decided at the end of this year. Now, things that are the same. We have 128 competitors once again, 64 men and 64 women at Tokyo 2020. And the main yeah. qualifying tournament, as you've pointed out before, is the 2019 World Archery Championship in the Netherlands. Half the quota of those will be decided by that World Archery Championship. But then you've got um, a lot more places to still be given. Yeah, it's, I, it's not 100% half. It depends on what happens with Japan, but close to half of the places will be given there. The real newcomer in, in, in the game is that the number of events we had in the past were the World Championship, the Continental Qualifiers, and the Final Qualifier. There is now a new addition, and this has been, I would say, a, a question of uh, strengthening our position in, in the Continental Games. Uh, and this has taken some negotiation, is that the Continental Games in, in all five continents, uh, although two are still under discussion in terms of participation, but in Europe, Americas, and Asia, the Continental Games, winner of the mixed team competition, will get a place for one man and for one woman. That so is a, huge. That is huge, and okay, it, of course, it was a way to introduce the mixed team in those competitions, uh, but uh, that will be the, 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 the really step forward. Then, for what concerns Europe, Asia, and the Americas, there will be also one individual place in those continental And that means that, uh, and that's why I said chronological, uh, the first continental games will actually be this year in uh, Jakarta, uh, in August which is the Asian uh, Games and that's the Asian Games so that will be the first qualifier event for the Tokyo Games uh, now um, the results of who qualifies there will only be finalized after uh, the World Championships in Setogambos since uh, I would say there is some likelihood that a top Asian game uh, Asian country uh, would be in the top eight in... Well, uh, there's an understatement. I mean, there's probably yes. at least two, and yeah. Two I, or three. Yeah, uh, and we could name them, but even. we don't need to. Most people know who we're talking yes. about. Yeah, I think I think one particular is quite likely, yes. Yeah, no doubt. Um, who happened to be picking their team for Jakarta in the snow as we speak. Yes. Which is amazing to me. That's it's going to be a forty-four degree centigrade event, and the Korean team—I'll just say—the Korean team is shooting in the snow right now, as we uh, record this. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. But anyway, so, so, so five places so via the, 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 the mixed teams. The, the big change uh, for the qualifier. Uh, for the rest, there is some fine tuning. Uh, for instance, there is less 
invitation places. Um, this is something because we think the, our current qualification system already gives a, a widespread of continental participation and universality as such. So we felt that the number of invitation places uh, was not longer necessary to have three and three, so it's two and two, which uh, puts the emphasis more on countries qualifying than receiving a place. Yeah. So just to clarify, 24 places will be given by way of the eight teams at the team competition at Nether- at the Netherlands World Championship. Yeah. Four places will be for high-ranked athletes who aren't qualified from the team event. Correct. But that's also coming from the uh, World Championship. So so that's, yeah. uh, uh, you know, 28. 28 places so far. Five places via five mixed teams from the Continental Games, like the Pan American Games, etc. Yeah. Three places are for the highest-ranked athletes at the Continental Games. Yep. And then 13 places come from the Continental Qualifying Tournaments, four of which are in Europe, three of which are in Asia, three in the Americas, two in Africa, and one in Oceania. Yep. And then nine places by way of the team competition at the final qualification tournament. At this point, you're juggling a lot of data and there's no way to really predict the outcome until that FQT, beyond perhaps a few teams that are already already you know locked in, right? Yeah. And this is pretty complicated. By the time you uh, parse it, the it number is. of teams that could do well at these events and have multiple events. Yeah, I, the thing is that what people have to realize is that the goal of of all archery is, of course, I we want to have the best archers in the Olympic Games in Tokyo. That's very clear. But we also want to make sure that I, I would say. We try to achieve that around one third of our membership is represented in the Olympic Games. So close to 60. Um, last time we had 56 uh, countries participating. We have at the moment 164 members. So it's close to the one third uh, uh, number as such. And, and this is important because we all know that participation in the Olympics means funding for those countries, means uh, media attention for those countries. Uh, and and therefore we we feel this is important that we have a large number of our members represented. Yeah. However, that should not go at the cost of, I would say, the top athletes not being there. So the system is a balance uh, exercise, and the best athlete of each country can be at the Olympics. That is without any discussion. Okay. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's 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 not easy to come to a system that is that is fair, balanced, uh, universal. But in the past, it has proven to be working. Uh, we fine-tuned it, we added a mixed team, and I'm pretty sure we will have a great lineup of top archers in Tokyo. Oh, well, no doubt. And, um, you know, we're looking at a situation where we have only two now are going to be allocated, you know, um, on their merits, as it were, through the Tripartite Commission. Um, it was more than that in the past, was it not? Yes, yes, there was more. So again, this is perhaps a reflection of you got to earn it. To, not that they don't earn it if they get invited, but you've got to you got to work harder maybe than in the past. And the other thing we've done is we we raised the minimum qualification standard. Um, yeah, I was going to ask about that next. Uh, six hundred and forty so for men. Six hundred forty for men and six hundred five for women. Yes, yeah. and and that's really based on on the, the levels we've seen the scores progressing over the last years. Uh, let's face it, with 6.40 in the men, if the weather is fine in Tokyo, uh, you're in the last places 
as such, but at least you're competitive for the first round. Yeah, yeah. If you're shooting a typhoon, a 640 is probably a good score. But uh, yeah, speaking of uh, conditions and everything else, um, uh, are you uh, in a position to give us an update on the outcome of the building of the venue in Tokyo and all that sort of thing? Is that moving along on schedule? Yes, actually, uh, I would say that it's, it's, it's going to probably be earlier ready than expected because uh, there's, there's some works that already took place on mainly on the on the ranking round field uh, because the, the ones for the finals will be really built uh, on an existing venue and there's not that much work to be done. But the, the ranking round field, which will be the legacy venue as well for Tokyo, uh, they have to fill in quite a lot of land there. And, uh, and basically, uh, uh, they will uh, continue working on that uh, later on this year. And then it should be ready uh, by, as far as I've seen, April next year. So well on time for the test event uh, that's planned uh, in August. Yeah, so that's good news. And uh, in keeping with the uh, reputation of archery, which is usually ready in time, I, I think, <laughs> generally. And so that's, yeah. that's very positive. Yeah, and, and I would say that the, the big challenge at the moment, and then we had uh, our sports manager, Yuko Okura, here uh, in Lausanne this weekend, is, is the schedule, because the, the challenge of, of shooting uh, at the venue uh, in the period of the games is very much the how do we find the best balance between having a program that works from uh, a heat perspective and at the same time, a light perspective. Yeah. Uh, uh, because uh, during that period of the year, it's quite humid and hot. So you really want to avoid for the athletes, but also for the spectators, the period between 12 and let's say 2.30, 3 o'clock. And that means since uh, it is an area of the world where the sun goes down quite quick. Uh, yeah, early in the day compared to a lot of places. We're talking 6, exactly. 7 p.m. At, at 6 o'clock, it's, it's dark. So uh, this is a, uh, an exercise we're going through with the organizing committee because installing uh, lights uh, for TV has a cost. Uh, but uh, for us, the, the critical point is the, the, the comfort of the athletes and, in, and, and I would say as a, a second priority comfort of the spectators because if... Uh, for either it's it's too hot, then well the spectators won't stay and the athletes will have a hard time competing at their best. Yeah, this has the potential to be the hottest temperature Olympics since uh, Atlanta in 1996. Absolutely, and uh, I remember walking out of the plane uh, in Atlanta said this is too hot, I go home. But uh, uh, then I saw some uh, cyclists and marathon runners and said, but if they can survive. We can survive as well. Well, I, I could tell you some stories about tournaments I've shot in Tokyo in July, and, and I can tell you that uh, it's not an easy thing uh, if you're not acclimated. But I, have, I think that uh, I think the countries that that have a, a shot at, at doing well at these games are going to take that into account, and obviously they're going to prepare for it. Remember, you know, like Netherlands with their aluminum suits in Athens, <laughs> you know, things like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, no, I'm sure I, they'll... I think, uh, the, the whole aspect of um, uh, having enough uh, refrigerators uh, uh, for cooling vests will definitely be a topic again. Now, I will point out that um, it's on Tokyo Bay. You know, Yume no Shima, Island of Dreams, is, is in Tokyo Bay. 
and there will be a prevailing breeze coming from the ocean, hopefully, and I think that will actually make it more comfortable, although it will also be quite humid. Yes, and then, of course, when you talk breeze, that means wind and... Well, okay, so, (laughs) as you know, that venue is right next to Haneda Airport, and um, while the 2004 Olympic Games are not a good example of avoiding wind, um, one of the reasons why it was moved away from the airport in Athens and moved into the Panathenaikon Stadium was to try to mitigate the effect of wind. It, as bad as it was in Athens, it was it would have been worse at the airport. And uh, this venue is near an airport. The good thing is there's a lot of trees around the uh, the venue. Yeah, I think this is the thing, and, and that was one of also one of our concerns with the venue. I said that we didn't want to remove. Uh, uh, any of the trees and uh, we really kept that to an absolute minimum and the ones that were removed were actually not uh, completely removed they were repositioned on the same area so uh, I think uh, that that's, that was important uh, from a sustainability point of view but knowing that there are trees will help with uh, the conditions yeah now on the other hand um, I've shot in that stadium on that island uh, a couple of times and uh, that one's going to be a little more I guess the finals field might be a little more tricky, maybe. Yep, <laughs> but, uh, well, it's um, part of the game. We're an outdoor sport, yep. and uh, um, uh, it seems to be that uh, certain people are very good at shooting in the wind, and some others are well, not so good. So The winners keep seeming to come from the same places, so I have a feeling they've got it worked out one way or another. Yep. All right, so shifting gears, Tom, let's talk a little bit, if you have time. Um, and, you know, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, the uh, outdoor season ahead, uh, the big start, of course, is going to be Shanghai with uh, the World Cup event taking place there for how many consecutive years is this now? Is it almost, is it 12 years now? Um, uh, your count is as good as mine, I think, yeah, but it's, uh, we've been there several, several times. Yeah. yeah, and Turkey Turkey and Shanghai are the big constants on the World Cup calendar. So uh, Shanghai will take place uh, next month, uh, coming right up. And then right after that, um, you know, there's a few other continental events. But then, of course, there's the, uh, the World Cup in Turkey, yep. which is also the... Um, there's another event going on in Turkey this year, is there not? Well, yes. Well, actually, the final uh, of this year's season will be in Turkey, in Sapsun, uh, which is close to the Black Sea. Uh, that will be in the uh, end of September. So um, we have, so like you said, we start in Shanghai. We, we're actually going back to the, the, the finals venue will be the one that was, that is next to the river. So the one that we shot three years ago, uh, the organizer wanted to, to change uh, again to that side because they feel it, it shows quite well Shanghai uh, oh yeah it's a great, it's an epic game. shot TV shot uh, and uh, so we'll we'll be there and then we'll be on the beach in Antalya as usual then uh, end of June we'll be in uh, Salt Lake City uh, there's been some changes on, on how the venue will be used and uh, uh, we've learned from, from certain of the challenges we had last year especially in terms of shadow on the targets and then we'll go to Berlin which was without any doubt the the best uh, event last year, which was at full stance and uh, great TV presence uh, in Germany, we were very close to the numbers of the Olympics and uh, the, the national television in Germany was delighted with the results. So we, we can really build on 
on the success of the German team, which already did well this year in in Yankton, uh, and uh, uh, we look forward to to a, to a great event against in Berlin. And then um, for the Asians after Berlin, their their attention will shift to uh, Jakarta, uh, and then I'm pretty sure we'll see some of the winners of Jakarta in the final in Samson in Turkey. Right. So that's going to be. Uh so important from the standpoint of people who are preparing for, obviously for uh, making their momentum toward 2020, and um, there's a lot of uh, uh, increased influence and, and interest in what's happening with the World Cup in general, I think. You're on Eurosport in Europe now, is that right? Uh, absolutely, Eurosport in, in Europe. Uh, the Olympic Channel uh, here in the uh, U.S.? Olympic Channel linked with NBC in the US uh, and then uh, we probably will have uh, some deals with some of the uh, South and Central American stations as well so we, we're expanding our coverage every year and uh, we're actually going to do some new uh, things in TV production as well one of the things we, we already started doing in Yankton which we will uh, work more on is for instance having the judges at the targets having a microphone, so instead of everyone waiting to see if one of the archers agents puts his thumb up or down uh, or, or other signals, you hear the judges call. The judge when he announces what is the result if there is a, a, a liner where uh, the spotting couldn't determine if it's in or out. So I think this will be uh, an enhancing effect for sure. Oh, absolutely. On, uh, on the production and uh, there's some other things we're trying out uh, and uh, we look forward to, to, to a great season. The other thing that, of course, will happen in October is the third edition of the Youth Olympic Games uh, where we will see uh, maybe some of the talents we will see in Tokyo, but for sure the ones we will see in Paris and L.A. Uh, no doubt about that, because that historically has been uh, a real um, incubator, shall we say, for future talent. And I think that was the intent when when that uh, was implemented. Absolutely. And okay, uh, some of the, the, the talents like uh, Marcus Dalmeda or uh, uh, people like uh, Audrey Addisium from France uh, uh, or uh, I would say Rick van der Ven uh, was the... Uh, the other one, uh, we see many talents in the Youth Olympic Games first, and then uh, um, actually, no, it was Rick van den Uver from the Netherlands. Yes, yes. Who, uh, who was uh, very successful in, in the Youth Olympic Games. And yeah. uh, we will keep on seeing that effect uh, uh, in the long term um, for the Olympics and, and for national teams. One other big event taking place this summer is one you're going to participate in. Yes, yes. We have. Uh, uh, for the the first time, uh, this is one of the things we had it in our rule book for years, but no one uh, dared to organize it. Uh, is the World Master Championships, uh, and uh, we wanted to to use the the World Archery Excellence Center uh, as a as a first venue for it, uh, combined with the Lausanne Club for the field and some part of the target event. So in in uh, mid-August, we will have the, those championships, which will be uh, for fields indoor and outdoor. So uh, people will shoot, depending on the day, one of the three uh, events. Uh, and uh, we, we already have passed 200 registrations. We, we expect around 400 
people to participate and uh, and this is an actual it, world championship title event it is a world championship title event for the ones that are i would say in the rules as championship events there has been some discussion on it as such but uh, we we have to go with the rules we have but we also open it up to other age age groups and uh and other types of bows and if there if we have a lot of entries there then okay we might consider uh, for the future, some changes there, but uh, uh, the main categories in registration are, of course, the ones where the World Championship title will be awarded. And we hope that some of the, I would say, known names in archery will participate. We already have uh, two or three Olympians that have registered, but now we're hoping to have some of the Olympic medalists uh, participating, and uh, we're quite hopeful on that. Yes, we, we have a couple of mutual friends who... Uh who've shown some expressed some interest in in attending so i'm sure that we'll see uh, a a star-studded lineup when the event takes place just to recap it is the world masters championship it's taking place in lausanne switzerland uh, what are the dates tom it's in the third week of august it's the the and i need to check but i think it's 12 uh till 18th of August. Right, August something thing. like that, yeah. And also, you've got, uh, just to recap that, you've got Target, you've got Field, and you've got Indoor, all built into the same event. And I guess people can choose to shoot or shoot all of them you if they choose, want. You can choose to shoot one or three. We've seen, based on the current entries, that most people shoot or three or two. Um, and and uh, it's clear that uh, the outdoor is the most popular uh, as such. But... Um, and then followed by indoor, but I, it's really, you decide what you want to do, um, one or two or three, and uh, we have some people that even have decided to shoot uh, with different bows in different events. Um, it's, it's really, the idea is really a, 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 an event for, for everyone, and, and, and uh, uh, yes, there is a title at the end uh, with uh, top-level events. We have uh, several of the master record uh world record holders that have already registered so are we pretty sure that the level will be quite high in some events and others will be just there to have fun and uh, discover the center discover lausanne and have a great time i have no doubt that you can have a great time in lausanne in the summertime it's it's fantastic switzerland in the summertime is is an awesome place to visit and, and bringing your bow can only make it better. So uh, for information, people can go to worldarchery.org where all of the registration information for this great event is uh, online. Uh, there's information there about getting hotels, about uh, the schedule for the event. Everything you need, uh, you can find at World Archery's website, worldarchery.org. Absolutely. So this will be uh, this will be a lot of fun to see uh, who shows up and, uh, and and maybe seeing some old friends there. That should be a lot of fun. Yes. All right. Well, Tom, listen, I, I cannot thank you enough for joining us and our listeners today on the Easton Podcast. Um, any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners before we uh, sign off? I would say enjoy shooting. Uh, I think every archer knows that uh, shooting in the middle can be so much fun. Uh, some people do it more than others, but uh, everyone can shoot in the middle and shoot a 10, and I think... Uh, that's that's uh, such a great feeling, and uh, I wish that to all the listeners uh, for many, many times during the season. Boy, that's so true. Thank you so much. Tom Dillon, Secretary General of World Archery, 
joining us for the Easton Target podcast. I'm George Tekmanchev. We'll be back with uh, our next episode. We'll uh, be rejoined by Steve Anderson, so we'll see you soon.